Hello and welcome to the Road Monkey podcast and episode 78. My name is Kevin Pickard and I host a show that delves into the minds of people who have unusual journeys, ones that perhaps deviate from the norm, and hope to inspire others to explore new and exciting journeys themselves. Time is most certainly flying here and we're now into our final few episodes of season 10. For those of you who are just joining us, we've so far spoken to an entrepreneur, Premier League official, SAS officer, an actor and former Red Arrows captain. And the excitement doesn't stop there. This week, we are speaking to broadcaster Simon Mundy, host of the incredible podcast, Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. We explore the many different roles that Simon does and his journey to get there is nothing short of staggering. So many twists and turns, but all in all, one that doesn't follow a nice straight line, something I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to. I really enjoyed Simon's honesty throughout our conversation, quite literally calling a spade a spade and just telling us how it is. From moving in and out of radio to writing a book and finding that purpose on his journey, both professionally and personally. It was a really fun interview to record and I hope you enjoy it. Just before we get started, don't forget to give us a quick follow on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch our interviews as well as seeing some bonus content. All the links you need are in the show notes. Okay, let's get into it and episode 78 of the Road Monkey podcast. Simon Mundy, honestly exploring the broadcasting journey from TV to radio to podcasting and beyond. Hi, Simon. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Kevin, lovely to see you. I'm very good. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, we've got a thousand and one things to talk about, I'm sure. But why don't we give our our listeners and viewers out there just a a quick introduction as to who you are and your background so far? Okay. Uh, Who am I? Good question. Well, I could go deep there, but I'll keep it. I'll keep it simple. I uh, am a broadcaster. So I... uh, have my podcast which is called life lessons from sport and beyond it's been going for three and a half years nearly it started out on radio four on the bbc as don't tell me the score interviewed lots of interesting and well-known people from johnny wilkinson gary lineker caitlin jenner at her house in la uh ronnie o'sullivan boris becker uh, when he was a free man and um, so, yeah, that's the podcast. And then I do some broadcasting for the BBC. I do some sport on the Today programme and I do television at Wimbledon. I do some event hosting, a bit of coaching. Um, I do, what else do I do? I'm writing my first book. Uh, I produce podcasts for companies. Um, and yeah, I think that's about, and, and then I try and be a husband and a dad <laughs> when I've got gonna- time. I was about to say, where does all this free time come from? Because it sounds <laughs> yeah. like you hardly do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, as I guess, how you, you got into this, because I think a lot of people, especially when you do podcasting, perhaps look from the outside and see the, the finished article, if you like, at the end of the journey. So I'm kind of thinking, stripping it back, where did it all start for you? Um, it all started, I'll try and keep it brief. Famous last words. Um, so it really started for me at school. I was a gobby so-and-so and like, I was rubbish at science, um, but was decent at English and languages and stuff like that. And I did an aptitude test and one of these things that suggest careers and one, the career that came up was journalism and tennis was my obsession when I was growing up still is like I can 
I, I'm a complete, or possibly a little bit less so now, but I'm a complete tennis nerd. I know all the Wimbledon winners of every year dating back to like 1972. Um, and I remember my life by what happened at Wimbledon in any given year. So, you know, in, back in when I was a young lad, uh, my dad used to get the, the, the Daily Telegraph um, and there was a journalist called John Parsons who was was writing about tennis so i would always read that every day i'd read his article and i'd also even just go on cfax back the the social media of its day um just to look at the results so the obvious thing then in terms of an aim was to be a journalist at wimbledon so that was that you know if, if you'd have asked me that in fact people did ask me that at a young age that was what i wanted to do um then university i studied broadcast journalism um i took a bit of a meander after leaving university because i went traveling and that that derailed me a little bit and i did some sales which actually i'm very grateful for um and then yeah i i got back into to radio in 2006 i think so i worked at a little radio station near here near where i live in uh I live in Worcester Park, just uh, down the road in uh, New Malden, I think. No, Tolworth. Uh, then from there, I moved to Ipswich, uh, did a, a year out in uh, East Anglia, which was fun. Never a place I'd been to before and haven't been back since. And then got a job at Virgin Radio. And then in 2010, got the job as sports reporter for Radio One, which I thought was well out of my league. And then, you know, spent many years doing that, which was really cool because obviously it was a really exciting time with the London Olympics, Andy Murray winning Wimbledon, um, the Brazil World Cup, which was a lot of fun. And like the Radio One job was amazing because it's the only sport radio job where you do everything. So any event, I got to cover it. You know, if you're on Five Live or anything else, there'll be someone who does football, someone who does rugby, golf. I did the lot. So you name it, I got to go to it. And at the end, actually, I was knackered by it. So, um, so I did that. And then um, I did, uh, sort of 2015, 16, maybe, you know, I started actually to feel a little bit unfulfilled by it because I felt that just talking about sport in a quite a superficial level was not my calling. And so, you know, I always wanted to talk about deeper things. <laughs> that sounds a bit rich but there we go um you know and, and i did lots of news stories for the bbc alongside it on some various um various topics and had started out as a news journalist but i um yeah i i always just thought that that it was shallow like sports reporting tended to be win lose controversy doping blah right um and I just, I thought that actually for me, what interested me about sport was that it, I saw it as a really good metaphor for life. Um, the obvious stuff from resilience through to actually the one, my first idea that led to the podcast was, was about tribalism, because I always think it's interesting. If you look at, you know, Arsenal fans and Tottenham fans, they hate each other, right? For no other reason than, than a belief. And then you know, and that says something about the human tribal nature that you can then apply to things like Brexit or Democrats and Republicans or social media. Or So I just that was my initial idea. Um, but around the same time as well, my actual goal was um, to do TV at Wimbledon. Um, 
I'd covered Wimbledon every year from 2007 and, and I was really focused on getting on telly at Wimbledon. And so I, in 20, I think 17, I was just absolutely harassing the, um, the, 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 basically the main producer of the Wimbledon coverage for the BBC thinking, you know, that that's, that's what I want. Uh, long story short, I, I got that. I harassed, I mean, literally, you I just harassed them, right? Like to the nth degree. Um, but then just before Wimbledon that year, uh, the editor of the Today programme, who I'd also laid on a bit of a charm offensive with, said, look, I want to create a role for you because they were focusing on youth audiences at the BBC and I was considered youth at the time. And... So I, and I went to her and I said, look, rather than creating me an on-air role like that, how about you give me my, give me a podcast? Cause I've got these, these ideas about using sport as a way to explore life's bigger questions as the tagline became. And her eyes lit up cause she heard the word podcast, probably thought podcast youth sounds good. Chuck me some money at it. And so, yeah, and that's how the podcast initially came up. And that's why it was called Don't Tell Me The Score initially was because it was going to go on the Today programme on Radio 4. And obviously, in most sports broadcasts, you talk about the score. So my bit was going to be to differentiate it from that was going to be called Don't Tell Me The Score. And actually, the name ended up being a bit of a it hamstrung it a bit because it, it's it's not it's not the perfect. It wasn't the perfect a podcast name in hindsight. But, you know, sailor V um yeah and and that was it and so i launched the podcast uh, in 2018 and um i remember my wife at the time saying that she thought the podcast would be a bigger thing for me than than wimbledon right and i still i still do tv at wimbledon and, and it's an absolute joy like my inner child my 12 year old inner child is buzzing but she's been right in that you know it has gone more in the direction of the podcast i love having chats like this and and digging down into, you know, questions about life, uh, what a life well lived. I mean, really, you know, there isn't a, there isn't an area I won't go into right down to the nature of reality. Um, and I just think sports a really good way of exploring these things, mental health, all these other things, because sometimes it's hard to talk about these things directly, but if you can use a window like sports to kind of go in a, almost sneak in under the radar, to talk about life, um, then then it, it, it's uh, it's a good fit. So yeah, so that's how it came together, and it's been going uh, ever since. You know, and I surprised myself with some of the guests I got on. Like I said, going out to Caitlyn Jenner's house that was that was pretty crazy. I would have anticipated that when I launched, um, and here we are. I, I got the chance to take it off the BBC, negotiated hard for that, and then got that, which was quite rare. Uh, renamed it because of the whole Ron Steele esque thing. And uh, yeah, here we are. Here I am chatting to you. That's it in its long, long truncated form. I think that was a very, very succinct way of putting it when you actually delve into all the different rabbit warrens that you went down. So I'm curious at what point did you turn the corner? So at what point did it go from the ambition of the school child, if you like, to, oh, this is actually going to potentially, not just idea of being a career, but actually you got your first job and you thought, hmm, there's something in this here. Did it, was there ever a, a specific point? There's a few points. Yeah, there's a few points. Um, one actually happened at university because I actually initially started out doing sociology at Leeds University. 
and I was far more interested in going out than my course. And I, and I returned at the start of the second term, unaware that we had exams and I had coursework to hand in. And as luck would have it, a friend of mine had dropped out the previous year and was basically repeating his first year. So that made me think, okay, well, that's possible. You know, you, it's that whole thing about you see someone else do it, you know, it can be done. And so I, um, I went to the library and I was flicking through the prospectus looking for another subject to do. I was actually looking for French because French was my favorite subject at school. And literally I opened the prospectus at broadcast journalism. I didn't even know it existed. So I thought, okay, cool. And my advice to everyone is always get in front of people, you know, um, if you want to make things happen. So, and I saw the head of the broadcast journalism department, uh, laid it on thick. She liked it and, uh, said, you, you know, I'd, I'd done work experience at the paper, at a paper in my GCC year and, um, you know, did English A level, etc. And she, um, she's like, cool. Yeah. You sound ideal. You, you can come and do this course next year. And so I rang my parents and they were unimpressed initially, but then they did some research and found out that the course that I was getting on broadcast journalism, um, was much better than, than the course I already was on. Had I applied to get on it while I was at school, I, I would never have got it because my predictions weren't as high as the grades I eventually got. So by a sort of piece of luck, really and good fortune, I managed to get on this course that I didn't even know existed. That was perfect for me. And I'd already then, you know, I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice and, and uh, think away my time. So even at that point, I was like, the stars, it felt like were aligning. And I thought, okay, this is possible. I, I want, you know, I'm going to go into radio and TV. Then, um, another time came, as I said, after I'd left university a few years, was doing some sales and I was working for a tennis magazine and they used to get me to do their kind of interviews on radio stations. And I did an interview, I think it was on TalkSport and basically, or Radio, radio Wimbledon, it might've been. And they put the producer basically said, oh, you're good. And I was like, God, what am I doing? Like I've trained in this, like what am I doing? Why am I not doing this? Like I'm, I'm working this magazine. Yeah, it's fun, but it's not really going anywhere. And so I, um, I asked them, you know, how, how would you advise anyone getting back into radio after a gap of about five years in my case at that point, maybe four. And they said, they told me about this radio station near here. And I have I rang that. I remember one day I was at work and I just was feeling really dissatisfied. I always say it was like this feeling of like my ladder was up against the wrong wall. Oh, well, as luck would have it, we've got a guy who's leaving the Saturday show, um, presenting the news and sport on a Saturday afternoon. You know, you can have that if you want. We can't pay you, but you can do that. And again, that was another kind of, okay, this is okay. Here's an opportunity. Right. And so I did for a year without pay alongside my normal job. Um, and you know, it, it was just, a it was a way of getting my foot back in the door. And then at the end of that, um, when I applied for the job at Ipswich, which was a paid journalism job, that was, I think when it was like, okay, brilliant. And, and so I was in Ipswich, big pay cut, and just felt like my ladder was up against the right wall. And, and, and that was, 
just this great feeling of like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm back on the path that I'm meant to be on. So that was a key moment. And then getting the job at Radio One, um, that was, uh, I, you know, I, I thought it was too good for me. I thought, you know, I had imposter syndrome, all the classic stuff, and then got the job. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, my the kind of test was they got me to, they were like, we need someone to cover Wimbledon. That was the test. And I was thinking, Christ, if, you know, of all the things for me to cover, Wimbledon's the one. Like, I, there's no one who knows more about Wimbledon in the whole blooming country than me, right? So it was a real chance for me to show off, and and that got me the job. So yeah, there there were there have been a few moments like that along the way, but I definitely would say that the stars have aligned for me. Um, and but but a big part of it's come down to following my intuition as well. So you talk about imposter syndrome there, and. I guess getting to a deeper level with people and one of the things you notice when you see professional athletes you know a lot of athletes on tv where it's very short sharp interviews you almost only get a chance to ask two or three questions and without in, in like a horrible way you've got to push past the, almost a fangirl kind of approach of it and actually get onto that level where you're having that deep conversation with people so at what point did you go or what was that first conversation you can remember where you went past the this is a, you know, one, two, three questions, what's the score, all of that sort of stuff to suddenly starting to get to that layer. Can you remember what that first conversation was? I mean, I was lucky that I worked at Radio Wimbledon um, in one of my first, around the Ipswich time. And that was a great job. They just gave me a mic and said, you just go and do what you want. So, and I, I would rock up, I went to players' flats and was like, so it, from that point, it wasn't the usual like radio one stuff i did long interviews and deep stuff and i have breakfast with them and record it and all that stuff so i think even from that point i um you know I, I, it, it just it just happened quite naturally i would say um i the imposter syndrome at radio one wasn't so much about the interviews as as just thinking that these guys are the the best journalists in the country and it's like the, everything that goes into it, the editing, the, sh the, the short um, deadlines, like the pressure you're under, all these, all these things that are being listened to by X million people. Um, it was all that stuff, as opposed to the interviews. I, I've, I always found the interviews to be fine. I mean, I remember I did Premier League productions again before Radio 1. I interviewed Usain Bolt at old trafford he was there watching them back in the day that was in when ronaldo was still there in the first time yeah. um so yeah yeah you know i don't i don't think there's ever been a, uh, a huge shift in terms of like getting into that deep stuff you know i've i've always been someone who likes having deep chats so you know when when the time then particularly with the podcast came to to go deep um yeah it just felt like a natural evolution so what was the what was the first time you sat in one of those deep conversations and someone said something that perhaps wasn't either expected or it just kind of took you back in the sense of you just thought, wow, I did not see that coming. Can you remember any of those moments? Um, can I remember any where I've taken it back? Um, the, the only thing that's springing to mind, actually, because I would say that almost without exception the interviews or the conversations more accurately have just been conversations um you know I, i'm sure they've changed I, i've probably tried a bit too hard at the start and 
so on and so forth, but they haven't changed much. And they've always just been conversations. And, and I would say, like I say, the, the majority or the or almost without exception, they felt natural and just easy conversations. The one that springs to mind, and I'm not going to tell you who it's with, was with a very, very successful sports person who was um, just very um, uncooperative to the point i basically i think their agent hadn't really explained what it was and they thought i wanted to speak about their current political views which i had zero interest in and obviously i wanted to pick into their past and and that just went very badly and after 10 minutes this person was like right this is over and threw the toys out the pram um so that slightly took me by surprise but even that you know i was like okay well that's on them that's nothing to do with me and and actually that's quite a revealing thing because you know, the thing that I always say is it doesn't matter, like, whether you're Olympic champion, the most decorated Olympian of all time, you've got 700 million followers on social media or, you know, whatever you've achieved, everyone's got different strengths, weaknesses, quirks, personality traits, popularity levels, all this stuff. At our fundamental level, we're all the same. And like, I really live and breathe that, I think, I believe. Um, and, you know, that hasn't always been the case. When I was younger, I, of course, looked up to some people and, you know, that kind of thing. But I definitely now, it, you know, that, that's, a, that's a fundamental part of my philosophy, if you like. So, um, you know, even if someone does throw their toys out the pram like that, I'm not like, oh, my God, oh, I'm going to apologize. I'm like, no you're 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 acting like an idiot because you believe the hype about you you know just winning whatever you might have won does not make you more important or special than anyone else why would why should you treat why should i speak to someone differently on account of the fact of the success they had than for example a waiter in a restaurant or someone serving me in a in a shop so that's very much my my outlook is you know we're all we're all the same uh you know scratch the surface yeah some people have done some cool stuff but underneath that there's no difference. A person is a person. So there's a level of, I guess, humility that comes with that. And listening to quite a few of your interviews, there's that, there's that, I guess, awareness that they are not the finished article and they're very much aware of trying not to believe the hype and all those sorts of things. So it almost becomes for them a journey of constant self-improvement, if you like. And very often that's how these hyper successful people get to where they are because they're never satisfied with where they are. They're still pushing you know, I watched uh, an interview with a really successful Olympian recently, and I think however many Olympic gold medals they've won, and they'd said, oh, yeah, but I didn't break X number of world records. And I just remember sitting there thinking, really? I'm like, that, that's their mindset, if you like. So in terms of your mindset to get through a very, very big number of interviews now and keep honing that craft, what's kind of the, the processes that you've taken from these successful people and I guess applied to your own journey of development, if you like? First thing I'd say is this whole idea of sort of self-development is an interesting one because it's definitely one I've been on in my life. But I think the realization is that it's this, uh, this idea of constantly improving and striving to be better and all that stuff. There's some value in it in terms of sport or whatever. But also for me, I think much more important than that is, is actually accepting who you are now and and that's a, a more powerful and important 
um, place to be and, and, and a far more um, reliable source of peace and happiness, which is ultimately w- what we want, right? So, um, you know, that's all anyone wants is to be is to be happy. They might think they want the gold medal, but if you told them it was going to make them miserable, they wouldn't. And same goes with power or what money or whatever it may be. And so, um, you know, I think acceptance, self-acceptance is a, is a really important thing. And, and then it, to broaden the acceptance thing out into an acceptance of how you feel moment by moment, acceptance of, for example, let's say someone throwing the toys out the pram. And, and um, I, w- I would say that it's helped just refine that sort of philosophy of, like I said, no one's any, just because you've done something impressive doesn't make you any better or any worse than anyone else. Like that, that kind of levelness is very much there. So I think it's, it's definitely reinforced that philosophy in me um by speaking to a lot of these people in terms of like my craft if you want to call it that it's uh i think just look my my approach is prepare well because preparation gives you confidence if you you don't want to feel like you're winging it and then once you've prepared well assuming you get the time to i don't always get the time to and then i do wing it and they always go fine as well tend, tend to but prepare well and then let go and and just have a conversation you know like i said speak as you would speak to your friend when you're down the pub or you know i always drives my wife mad like if we go out for meals i'll end up chatting to the waiters or the waitresses you know like i just like connecting with people so that's it you know it's like once you've done the preparation it's just about connecting on, on a on a human level and you know and, and i just i'm lucky i enjoy doing that you know I, I enjoy talking to people and and i just sort of get in the flow of it so you know there's not much there's probably not much um uh sort of dissecting of my process if you if you know what i mean i have tried to be a bit less long-winded and i've tried to cut out some of the filler words a little bit but you know overall it's just really a case of get into it and let go let things flow see where you end up it's curious uh not too many weeks ago we had um an sas guy on the podcast who had been in the sas for 18 years and within about five minutes of starting the discussion you could tell we were not going to talk about anything military related at all and he'd climbed Everest a few years ago and I said to him you know what was it like you know standing on the top of Everest and he was like it's all right he's like it's the journey and being present in that journey to get to that point and not worrying about what everyone else thinks of you and you know the fact you've got this thing that some people look and go oh my god that's amazing but actually just going and still get up in the morning clean my teeth and go to work like everybody else and all that sort of stuff it's just a bit different but yeah it's uh there's and I don't know if you found this when you do podcasts, the, the more episodes you do, the more random lineage you find between places that you perhaps wouldn't have, you know, whether it's different sports, you know, different age groups and all those sorts of things. But you start to get these golden threads that appear that actually yeah. you're like, wow, they're all the same, really. Mm. I mean, like you say. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely been some some of those golden threads running through. You know, I would say, like I said, acceptance is a big part, that kind of humility, that, 
not putting people on pedestals, you know, and then obviously there's all sorts of stuff around, I don't know, uh, you know, another one is, um, is managing uncomfortable thoughts and feelings and, and, and just the thoughts, you know, so, um, like you mentioned the SAS guy is climbing the mountain, you know, and you expect to get on top of the mountain and it's like, boom, that's when I'm going to be happy. And you know, that that's a thought, a, a, a popular or a, a widespread belief that people have that, that, and you can swap a mountain for a car, a job, a relationship, retirement, legacy, whatever you want to do. But it's all a version of the same story that I will be happy in future, but future only exists in your mind. So, you know, it's like, I think it's, it's very coy and easy to talk about being present because what does that mean? Well, to me, it just means stepping back from, from your thoughts and, and, and recognizing that thoughts come and go and feelings come and go on their own. You don't do anything to make them come or go. We think we're thinking them, but actually they arise. And the more you can be there as the witness of all that stuff, then that witness is inherently peaceful. And, and it's much easier then to get in the flow and enjoy the journey, all the moments along the way. Because, yeah, like there is no promised land in the future. You, you know, I, there's so many people I've spoken to. Johnny Wilkinson, fantastic example, kicks the winning drop goal in 03. He's reached the promised land. Next day, gets up. There aren't people playing harps and, you know, and <laughs> angels clapping and all this stuff. No, it's like you say, he just gets up and life, life hasn't changed. You know, it's life. Uh, so there is no promised land in the future. So it's always about now. And, and, you know, the only place where the future and past exists is in the mind, you know. And so anyway, I've got a bit deep there, but. Yeah, that, that, that's it for me is just is just get is dis disattaching or disentangling a little bit from from your thoughts and, and feelings, you know, about past and future and just being engrossed, fully engaged as much as you can be in what you're doing at, at any given moment. Johnny Wilkinson's one that I think I don't know about you, but I remember watching very vividly that goal. And now listening to him as perhaps a, a wiser and more mature person and actually his reflection on that whole experience, but also the value he places on it versus probably what he placed on it at the time. And yeah. it's very interesting to have heard him gone on that journey in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just find that really, really interesting. And yeah. I think his is, his is one of the most interesting journeys because I think he's really introspected and he had to, his mental health had to really struggle to be impacted, to um, to force him to to go on that introspection and find some answers that are so far outside of the usual positive thinking and self improvement and all that kind of stuff, and he's much more aligned with acceptance and awareness and stuff like that. Um, you know, it just shows actually that, that suffering can be a good thing. Um, but yeah, no, I think yeah, I think his his He's, he's probably got the most uh, intriguing developmental journey in, in British sport for me. Uh, it reminds me, I think it was a couple of seasons ago, we had a, uh, I did a 
kind of a collection of about eight episodes running up to Tokyo last year. But I didn't just speak to people involved in it. I spoke to people almost looking back on previous Olympics. And certainly when you're talking to parents, especially that have got probably a much more of a, um, a real world or a grounded view, if you like. Uh, and I was talking to somebody who went to Olympics, I think when they were 13 or 14, and they were now in their late 40s and early 50s. And I said, you know, what was what would be your one like message? And, and now you've reflected back on it all that you'd kind of say to yourself. And she went, she, uh, she had an American accent. You'll have to excuse it. She went, if you spend your whole life looking forwards or backwards, you spend the rest of your life pissing on the present. And I'm just like, That's oh, right. yeah, but it was actually like, you, you, it's right. Like, I, I do think, yeah, and you, the, the time that stood out for me, and it's way off topic in terms of sport, but I think it was the... 2008 election I might be wrong but it was when um, Hillary Clinton was going for president and she did a a press conference and someone took a shot of her at the front of the press conference and the entire room had their back to her and they were all taking a selfie and it's one of the most iconic shots of somebody not being present and in the room and actually just trying to all subcapture that moment and the, yeah that was one that really stuck out for me and I think yeah, you say going deep on it, but I think that almost sounds like that's that's the part you really, really enjoy is actually getting past all of the, the surface level BS and actually getting to a point where you start to delve into the human. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. the bit we can yeah, relate yeah. to. Well, you connect, right? It's funny you say that, actually. That reminds me of something one of my guests said about, because um, that's a pet peeve of mine, like going to a concert or whatever, and everyone gets their phones out. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're ruining this experience for yourself now. You're going to get some crappy little video that no one cares about that you're not going to watch. Like it's, it's the most ludicrous thing to do rather than be there experiencing something that is going to be an enjoyable experience, you know? And I actually, I remember my stag do, we went to an Ibiza concert thing um, last year. And uh, yeah, my best mate laid his phone out. I was like, put that bloody phone away and just, be here right just be here you know yeah that's awesome now i guess one of the things about delving into people's stories and especially in the medium that you do is sharing it so obviously you've got you've got the podcast and i know you're on this journey now that she kind of put that all together if you like in a book and actually where at what point did it in a weird way go from not delving into all these conversations is enough let's let's take it even further and put my own reflections down because obviously when you're interviewing someone normally you know it's 90 10 of the conversation whereas actually a book is your own I guess experiences of it all so at what point did that go again from a that'd be quite cool to actually the, the wheels starting to turn when the agent rang me and said do you want to write a book <laughs> That's the soundbite right there. And I was like, sure, why not? That, that, that is literally how it happened. I mean, there's a bit more to it than that in terms of um, in hindsight or, or what I later found out, like how things evolved and happened and also what's happened since in terms of some of the hurdles I've sort of faced. But in a nutshell, that was it. Yeah. I remember when I launched the podcast, um, my editor, if that's what you'd call her, at the BBC said, oh, you know, I think there's a book in this. Um, and then, yeah, probably three weeks later, it was quite early on. I was only been doing it a few months. And um, yeah, I just got this email from from a literary agent saying, you know, would you be up for it? Got me to write a proposal. I was like, yeah, sure. Got me to write a proposal, put it in. Got picked up by 
big publishing house and uh, signed a contract. And here I am many, many months after I thought it would be published, still cracking away. Just take as I get through a little bit of that process of, because being, I guess, as reflective and as, uh, as deep in terms of your learning as you are, I can't imagine it just spilled out onto the page and like, yeah, that's fine. That's exactly what I wanted to say. So for, for the people out there almost like that are constantly like trying to evolve it, like we talked about earlier, what was that like kind of going, no, no, no that's what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. You, no, you've hit the nail on the head there. So, um, so I, like I said, I wrote the proposal, which is about roughly 10,000 words, something, maybe something like that. And they accepted it very quickly. Um, and I got the contract and, you know, I was pleased with the terms. We'll put it that way. And I remember um, going out for a meal with my wife and she had bought me a card or, you know, sort of congratulations thing. And I'm sitting there going, I haven't written a bloody word yet, you know. And, and at that point, uh, it was actually, it was short, just before COVID hit. Um, and at that point, you know, I had a, like a year um deadline and it and, and i thought that was hard and fast right and various people i spoke to were like a year you're gonna do it in a year like no way like so i was just like god like so i was again i, I was intimidated and scared i would say actually so um and then covid hit which in some ways was a bit of a blessing uh, a blessing and a curse of course and I'm talking purely in terms of the book, because it, it meant that I was just at home. And so what else was I going to do apart from try and write a book? So I spent a lot of time in this in this room. But the, the first draft that I submitted, um, you know, I, I, I was so focused on getting it in on time um, that I, I was, I don't think I was truly authentic to to what I wanted to say. Um, but I still got it in. And that was my that was all I was really focused on. And then I expected it to come back quite quickly. But actually, there was a quite a big gap before the publishers got back in touch with me. And that gap was really useful, because obviously, I stopped thinking about the book, I was just had been so immersed in it. And um, so when I came back to it, for some reason, I had a chat with them and they sort of told me what they'd liked and what they didn't like. And, um, and it just crystallized in my mind that actually what, what I wanted to say. And, and actually, just to, to go back slightly, when I started at Radio 1, I remember I started and I was like, okay, right, how should I be in doing this job? Oh, well, my predecessor did it like this, so I should probably do it a bit like that. And, you know, I should support a football team and all this stuff, which I don't, by the way. Um, and, and so, you know, there was a certain element of being inauthentic, right? And then over time, I found my voice and, and was true to myself in Radio 1. And that's when things started going really, you know, started going well. And, and the same thing happened with the book, you know. Um, you know, I still haven't finished it. So there's all sorts of things that could still go belly up from here. But, um, but I certainly now am writing what I want to say as opposed to what I think should be said. And, and so it's just coming back again to finding that, that authenticity within you and perhaps 
not fretting quite so much about oh my god i've just got to hit the deadline but more like no i've got to i want to write what i want to write and say what i want to say you know and yeah and that and that's what i'm trying to do slowly but surely he um the last season we had a entrepreneur on who'd started a business at the start of the pandemic and it had ballooned into a multi-million pound business very very quickly wow. and massive imposter syndrome had never run a business before it had happened by chance and I said to her one of the things at the end was what are kind of your reflections on it now and she said as soon as I started becoming a businesswoman I started to try and model myself on other people of what I thought I should be because yeah. I, I I didn't feel like I was in the right place yeah. and now that was two years ago and she said, I'm now getting to a point where actually I'm <clears throat> comfortable going, I know what I know, I know what I don't, and I'm obviously growing and developing, but actually that's okay. Yeah. And I, I again, find it really interesting that that's coming from, from a completely different, I guess, end yeah, of the yeah. spectrum. So. But I, I think imposter syndrome is such an interesting thing because it's, everyone has it, like, because it's not personal. It's, it's, it's what the brain does. Like, the, you know, the brain is a survival mechanism or a survival system. So if you're in a situation where you're slightly out of the usual parameters of things, the alarms are going to start flashing, which means that, you know, stress hormones are going to be released, which means you're going to have thoughts like you suck. This is going to go badly. You know, they're all going to think you, you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. So everyone has it. And, and again, for me, it comes down to ultimately recognizing that thoughts aren't facts and you can just let them pass on through you know don't cling to the good ones don't resist the bad ones just do what you know you need to be done irrespective of the storyline you've got going in your head you know and and that old thing what you resist persists in terms of thoughts and feelings and more you can just sort of get out of your own way but everyone has it everyone has imposter syndrome a friend of mine told me quite a nice line she said she spoke to someone quite high up in the music business and said look you know what what's your secret and he said look just remember, no one has a bloody clue what they're doing, right? And I was like, that's great, right? If, it, it's a bit like when you go to a party. I remember going to the to the BBC Sounds launch party and, and people, some people hate social events. They're like, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to be, um, feel shy and I'm going to, I won't know what to say and blah, blah, blah. Well, so 95% of the other people in the room are going to be feeling the same. So, you know, don't worry about it. Stop focusing on you, like look outward. Like, you know, I think it's like, it's reverse empathy of just understanding that we're all just muddling our way through and don't really, and have these brains that, that can hinder us and my, thoughts that can get in the way. And that's fine. And it's normal. And, and it's just accepting that it's not a problem. It's just the way it's the human experience. I think that's what the beauty of listening to your podcast is when you delve into those guest lives, because actually <clears throat> what comes to the fore is their humanness. Yeah. That makes sense. And actually yeah. not just from a relatability point of view, but I think also from like giving that those young people out there who are finding their way in the world, perhaps have gone to the careers advisor and not like what they've been told actually to hear people who are up in the stars, if you like, from, from their point of view going, no, we've made loads of mistakes and we just kind of make it up as we go along and it's worked out okay. I think it's really, really powerful. And I think that's especially when the more and more you do it, the, the more of those messages almost get shared. And I think that's something that is, is what makes podcasting so special. And yeah. perhaps it's generationally, it's quite a new thing because although you may have had things like Parkinson and things like that, well, they might have gone to a certain level, but they didn't have the... the 
the time you know you couldn't sit down for, for an hour or an hour and a half with somebody and go to the depths that you do but also the regularity of it you know going out yeah. every single week week after week with all these different people so yeah, yeah. what's kind of what's been i guess as, as a whole your reflections on the podcast journey because it is something that for our generation is new you know it's, yeah. it's something that we haven't got a benchmark to go 50 years ago we did this you know so what's that yeah. been like as a whole experience for you i think it's um i think it's a really exciting and encouraging development because like you say this kind of conversation was kind of hard to come by um whether in the media whether at home with your own family you know like men of a certain generation tended to be quite buttoned up you know and and so um i think having proper conversations where you you talk um below the surface level is um you know it's a i think it's a, a human need and i think that the fact that there's podcasts that just exploded reflects that need and you know at a time when people whack wang on about fake news and the problem with social media and all this stuff which i i all i agree with i think there's also some positive stuff happening so for example podcasts you know and the authenticity that, that comes through that you know and and in my own experience having been at radio one where i'd do a 10 minute interview and i'd be lucky if three and a half minutes went out through to you know like something like this where you just talk for an hour and you can obviously go that much deeper and that be that much more raw and authentic and all that stuff and and share and you know you're just having a conversation yeah it's uh i, I think it's a really um a really and it's an enjoyable thing to do i think it's there's a lot of interesting stuff out there and you know, I think it's about just doing it for its own sake as well. You know, it's like everyone wants to have the biggest pod or whatever, but, you know, there's too many out there for that. But I think if you, and I'm sure you find the same, it's it's rewarding in and of itself. And that's the, the real beauty of it. Yeah, I, I think certainly for my one, it was, I started six weeks before lockdown with no anticipation, obviously, of what was coming. And then suddenly got put on furlough for four months and thought, I could have some more conversations like this and just quite literally went through your contacts book and you want to have a chat, do you want to have a chat? And everyone was obviously, well, most people were at home. And um, it, you got to the point where, you know, that was January, 2020, when did we were going to lockdown, end of March. By December, I remember having my first kind of what I'd consider like big name on, I had a producer from Netflix come on. And I remember thinking, this is ridiculous, but actually that was the point. It wasn't getting carried away with i'm going to focus on this and i'm going to try and get my views up or you know it was actually just like let's just chat to people and some people will say yes and some will say no you'll flap it up sometimes it'll go well the other times and actually having kind of listened to you know somebody your earlier guests like I, i've actually you know spent some time around and thought oh that's really really cool and kind of kept up to it to where you are now it's been really interesting to watch you go on that podcast journey so i've really enjoyed today being able to i guess unpick that from your side because usually you're the one asking the question so uh -huh. <laughs> there's there's one more thing i want to ask and if you'd have come out of that that careers advice or advisor session and they'd given you the sheet of paper that said journalism and standing outside the door was you right now what would you say the old classic yeah go back in time question um which i've asked many times myself uh, 
Do you know what? I'm a believer that you need to go through things to grow and you don't want to molly coddle your own kids or anything like that. And so, you know, a lot of what I went through in my own life outside of careers, you, you know, I had a, I had anxiety and had difficult stuff and things to face and stuff like that. And it wasn't fun at the time. Um, but it's, it's been really important for me in terms of the journey that I've been on. Right. And so I probably wouldn't say anything. I'd probably would just let him crack on and, and, uh, and, and just, just, just because a quote that comes to mind is <clears throat> Andre Agassi once said, he's playing someone and he he's thrashing them. Right. He wouldn't want to cheat them out of a six love, six love defeat. Now, what he means by that is that might be just what that person needs to go through, you know, and, and it can be easy to think, oh, no, take it easy. Let's give them a few games, you know, in the moment it will make the, the experience more comfortable in that moment. You know, but actually, you might be by doing that, you might be cheating them later. So I would be I'd be wary about getting stuck in. However, if we say it's someone else, if, let's imagine it's someone else, right? Who's specifically asking me for advice. Um, I would say, uh, you know, just take risks, um, take risks, be brave, um, be persistent, um, and, you know, enjoy it. Just, and, and just try and just try and ex accept and, and uh soak it all up and um you know just just follow actually do you know what i'd say i'd say follow your intuition follow your intuition not what your brain and that's not what your mind is telling you you should be doing like ditch five-year plans that no 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 try and learn how to tap into your intuition and follow that as much as you can and uh as steve Jobs said there's something in you that for somehow knows what you want to become already and i you know i believe that so so, uh, yeah, I'd say that. Follow your intuition. Go for it. You've now kind of edited how I'm ever going to talk and ask that question again, because now I'm going to say, right, I've got two questions left for you. If you could speak to yourself and if you could speak to somebody else who's similar yeah. to you, but not you. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for that. No well, that was, a, <laughs> that was a really cool way to pull it all together. And obviously, we'll include the link to both uh, the website and the podcast so everyone can keep up to date with when the book's coming out, when we get there and, and all the other cool stuff that you've got coming up. But just a big thank you because I really, really enjoyed kind of getting into this journey and again, going a little bit deeper for, from our side instead of watching you do it for somebody else. Well, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Kevin. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed chatting. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. And don't forget, we've got a back catalogue of content that goes all the way back to January 2020, including fighter pilots, Olympic champions, TV presenters and inspiring authors. We'd really appreciate it if you can give us a quick rate and review, however you're joining us today. And if you don't want to miss out on any future episodes, make sure you hit subscribe. Our community update drops once a month and we've got some great guest content being added, so be sure to sign up for that. And finally, we're all about inspiring and supporting as many people as possible. So if you can share this episode with one person that you think would enjoy it, that would be really, really cool. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Road Monkey Podcast.